Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, kia ora, everyone. Welcome along to this bonus episode on Christchurch as the City of Impact. Now, this was a panel discussion which happened a couple weeks ago at Perryfield Lawyers, and there were four of us talking on the panel. The first was Tim Loftus from Christchurch NZ. Then we had Bridget Williams from Bead and Proceed, Abdigani Ali from Canterbury Resilience Foundation, and me to help facilitate the discussion. And what we were trying to do with this panel was really get to the heart of what it is that makes Christchurch unique, particularly in the context of earthquakes, shootings, fires. There's been a bunch of things that have happened in the last decade or so. And so we go into all of that and we talk about what it is that's unveiled as a city and what the future may hold for us. I really hope you enjoy it because there was a lot of really good insights into this. I hope you enjoy it. And if you do, check out some of the other episodes in the back catalog. If you want to hear more about Bridget Williams or Abdigani Ali, check back in the back catalog because they've both been on Seeds before, and I'll put a link to their episodes within the show notes. Now let's get into this panel discussion. Kia ora koutou, ko Stephen Tokuingua, no o tatahi My name is Stephen Mo, and it's a privilege to welcome you here to Perry Field, and we're going to be having a great discussion about Christchurch as the city of impact today. And I'm really pleased with the number that we've got here because it's it's enough where we'll be able to get good engagement and good questions, um, which I think is really important. <laughs> so what we're going to do is um, we just we got a wonderful panel representing a diverse range of views of Christchurch, and um, what I'm going to do is get each of you to introduce yourselves, um, and then we're just going to talk a little bit about this idea of Christchurch and what it is that makes it unique, what is it maybe that makes it a city of impact and unpack that a bit. And then I think we'll just get into some Q&A and see where we go. Just keep it informal. Um, just as the, my own introduction, um, whenever people hear me speak, they hear an accent. Um, but I actually grew up in New Zealand from the age of seven. So my parents moved here from America, um, actually to Amaru. And my dad was raising salmon on the Waitaki River as you do. <laughs> and then we moved to Christchurch in 1989. So I went to high school here, I went to Canterbury University, and I became a lawyer and worked in Wellington for three years and then left New Zealand for 11 years. And I worked in Tokyo for four, London for three, and Sydney for four. Came back to Christchurch in 2016 with the conscious idea that I wanted to help the city, particularly post-earthquake. Um, so now I'm a partner in this law firm here, and I specialize in corporate and commercial law, as well as not-for-profits and charities. And so that's been a really interesting journey for me, moving back to Christchurch at the time I did. Um, so what we'll if each of us can introduce ourselves, that would be great. Maybe All right, Abdi, we'll start. Yeah. Kia ora guys, um, my name is Abdigani Ali, or people call me Abdi for short, it's easy to pronounce. Um, my family originally uh, migrated from Somalia, which is in the east of Africa, in uh, 1997. Uh, we first touched down in Hamilton, um, spent one year there, and then we moved down to Palmerston North, um, which is where I did most of my intermediate and high school um, in Palmy. And then um, after that, uh, my family spent a bit of time in Australia, uh, but I decided to come back and I moved down to Christchurch. Uh, 
at the moment, uh, my background is HR. Um, I've studied HR and uh, at the moment I'm working in the uh, non-for-profit space. Uh, I co-founded an organisation called the Canterbury Resilience Foundation with the help of uh, Stephen Moe who um, helped me get it off the ground. And uh, what we're doing is primarily we're working with the youth um, in Christchurch um, that were either directly or indirectly affected by the events of, uh, of March 15 and through resilience building workshops and um, sporting activities. Um, so that's a bit about what I'm doing at the moment and yeah, a bit about my history. Uh, kia ora, my name is Bridget Williams. I, uh, well I guess I could say I'm a recovering solicitor. <laughs> um, no, I, I'm, I was a solicitor for about three years and I worked in litigation so it's a different field from Stephen which is why he's still here. Um, but I lead a social enterprise called Beat and Proceed which has got to do with the beads that I'm wearing. So Beat and Proceed exists to educate people about the 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals and to inspire action towards them through creativity. So we do this by um, getting people together and to make a five beaded necklace or key ring that represents their top five SDGs, that's the acronym by the way for Sustainable Development Goals, um, top five SDGs that they want to work on and commit to. So core to Beat and Proceed is we want to live by the 2030 Agenda, which is to leave no one behind. So for every Beat and Proceed kit purchased, another kit is donated to a low decile school or deserving community organisation. Uh, for me, community is a massive part of my life, so I'm also on the Fendleton Maimari Hewood Community Board. If you're in the Fendleton Ward, please vote Bridget Williams. <laughs> <laughs> I'm running again, um, and I really want to see through some of the initiatives that we've started um, and yeah, I guess the other massive thing that I love is of course this city, Ōtutahi. We are in a really um, unique space and um, I've made a conscious decision to stay here, whereas all my friends have gone overseas to London or Melbourne, but um, yeah, I see this as it being a wonderful city that has so much potential and I really want to be a part of that. Great, thank awesome. you. Yeah. Um, kia ora koutou, ko uh, Tim Loftus, taku inua. I uh, have a Canadian accent. Um, my mum and dad are from here originally. Um, my dad's from Christchurch and mum's from Dunedin and they went over to the UK uh, and fell in love and got married in London in 1969 and then decided they would stop by Canada on the way home to New Zealand and stayed for 30 years, so that's why I've got this <laughs> one. <laughs> um, I studied business, uh, marketing and brand development primarily, and I uh, worked in the outdoor gear industry for about 15 years, working with a number of different outdoor brands in North America, primarily driving sustainability uh, as a driver of innovation and change and um, community activation. And most recently I was with Kathmandu here um, in Christchurch and Melbourne before that and Seattle before that, so I kind of moved around quite a lot. Um, but I saw that really the power of a brand and the way in which people perceive and engage with a brand can really change the way people's mindset works and they can introduce them to new things and um, the opportunity to get involved I'm with Christchurch NZ, with Otsutai brand, and, and really use our city image and perception um, to help shift the dial and make major social impact was one I couldn't resist. So I joined Christchurch NZ about a year and a half ago, and yeah, I've been working really hard on trying to tell all your stories, uh, the ones that we'll be famous for. So, yeah. That's great. So as you can see, we've got a diverse panel here, lots of different backgrounds and experiences, um, and the aim is really to get some good discussion going and, and hear different perspectives. Um, I should say as well, um, I do a podcast called Seeds. 
So I'm interviewing lots of people about their lives, and two of the people here have been interviewed. So if you do want to know their backgrounds, we spoke together in June, I think it was, and we spoke in about July. Um, so both Bridget and Abdi have been on the podcast, um, and the podcast goes for an hour, so it's quite a long, in-depth, where are you from, what was your childhood like type of experience. So <laughs> um, and yeah, there's 130 episodes now. So I think what we'll do is just have a little discussion I want to facilitate some questions to get us started, um, but then I know that some of you will have comments and input and questions as well. Um, so Bridget, I'd just like to start with you in terms of you said that some of your friends had chosen to go to other places, mm -hmm. um, but you've chosen to stay here. Can you just unpack that a little bit more for us? What was it about Christchurch that made you want to stay? I think a, a massive part of me staying here is my time being president of the Student Volunteer Army while I was at university. Uh, that I was, I was privileged enough to be in that position and I experienced firsthand just how magical this place is and its people are. Uh, it's, yeah, it was not a university experience that I think most students get to go through, but I saw it as, a, as an incredible one. And I realized that this is, I think most importantly is there was a spotlight on students at that time. Students weren't being perceived as those people who kicked down letterboxes or burned couches. And there was a lot of, I wouldn't say pressure, but opportunity for students to, to be more than just students. So it was this time of, we are young people and we're being heard for the very first time. So that was really exciting. And, that, and then from there, I was shoulder tapped to uh, run for local local body the local body elections. So that was a three year commitment. Mm -hmm. And then that just further cemented my love for the city and the potential that it has and how I feel like there's this change from old Christchurch, new Christchurch. We sort of see it as like, you know, pre-earthquake, post-earthquake. Mm -hmm. And it's this post-earthquake that I'm seeing a lot of energy, creativity, open-mindedness. We've still got so much, you know, got a long way to go, mm -hmm. but I, but yeah, want to be a part of that. And that requires having young people to be around the table to ensure that it's future-proofed and we don't just, you know, head off and experience another city and come back when it's all finished. We need to be here through that process. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Um, how about for you, Abdi? You, you, you said that your family's kind of going to Australia mm. mainly, but you're here. What, what was it that drew you here? Uh, to be honest, I always loved my childhood here. Um, first moved to, over to Australia, I didn't like it at all. Mm -hmm. um, so it was always uh, deep within me to come back. Mm -hmm. um, and I've always wanted to explore or give back somehow to, to New Zealand. Mm -hmm. So once I came back to Christchurch um, and seeing the recent events of March 15, I think they kind of gave me the push to do what I've always wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I really support what um, Bridget was. Yeah, yeah Bridget, <laughs> what Bridget just said about letting the young people um, take charge and getting them involved. So when I founded the Canterbury Resilience Foundation, I thought that would be a good way to, instead of having the youth or, of our community, the Muslim community, like go into like this dark hole or into, mm. you know, um, into other areas, trying to motivate them, engage them, and be part of that table, be discussed, have those dialogues. So I had a few dialogues with the government, uh, with the Minister of Ethnic Communities, Jenny Salisa, who came down of how they can help the youth, uh, particularly the Muslim youth, and getting them engaged and more involved. Uh, so I think Christchurch is a really important city. 
Um, it's a very um, unique city mm -hmm. in my eyes. And I think there are a lot of opportunities here. People don't need to go away. I think the problem needs to be solved if there's a problem. Mm -hmm. And more people need to be sat around the table to solve those problems. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So let's just talk about the unique character of Christchurch given the last 10 years and what the city has been through. Because if you look around the world, I don't think there's been a city that's had as many things happen when you look at natural disasters and shootings and fires and things. Like, what do you think that that's done, I guess, as the potential stage for what Christchurch could become? What has that done for us in terms of a platform? I'm particularly thinking about the Christchurch call kind of post-shootings, you know, that was elevated beyond the impact of a city that's as big as it is, shouldn't be talked about at the UN in Paris, you know, like it's, there's definitely something unique that's, that the city is known for um, outside of the country. I don't know, from your perspective, Tim, is there anything that you would comment on about that? Do you th uh, it's a common discussion point. Yeah. Um, and my personal view uh, which is, I guess, my own, but um, is that Christchurch has actually always been that. Mm -hmm. um, certainly the last 10 years has, has been some things that have allowed us to step up as a community and come together and um, respond, but I almost feel like it's actually the Cantabrian, the nature of the Cantabrian to respond in the manner that we have. And I think about that because of the global impact the city has had. Uh, we, we talk about it quite a lot, but I mean, usher, ushering in universal suffrage for humanity is mm -hmm. a pretty big deal. Mm -hmm. um, the nuclear movement, uh, the anti-nuclear movement in New Zealand, again, began in the streets of Christchurch. And these are hugely fundamental social change moments in time that are, have global impact. Mm -hmm. And I think we saw in March, um, probably, as far as I can think of, the most horrific event was actually overshadowed by this incredible community outpouring of love and affection and togetherness. And we're actually now again on a global stage of social impact, mm -hmm. and so for me, it's just intrinsic on who this, what the city is about. I guess the only flip side of that is that it's been the best kept secret. So you know, we, we're really good at being massive change makers, but not not sharing that mm -hmm. with anyone else. Mm -hmm. So we're actually in a place now with, I think, with new opportunities, um, new growth, and obviously heaps of amazingly inspired young people. Mm -hmm we now realize that we actually have to tell our story and get more of those folks here to help us add you know, weight mm -hmm. to that movement. Mm -hmm. Can you unpack a little bit some of the statistics about um, engagement of people who they love living here, it's a great place, but they wouldn't necessarily tell other people? Sure, yeah, it's quite interesting. We did a research piece in the last few months of 1,100 Kiwis, basically to get an understanding of what people perceive of Christchurch. So. We know that we think we have to shift perceptions because there's this common narrative that we're a conservative kind of old place, but we actually know in our hearts that it's more than that. And so the research actually showed um, that everybody surveyed, uh, residents, potential residents, migrants, potential migrants, and visitors all see us as an exciting, progressive, cool, uh, and beautiful place. And so that's pretty amazing to think that actually that's already the intrin intrinsic perception and so it's really shifting that narrative to align with people's perceptions that we're really focused on at the moment. Mm -hmm. The challenge that we saw in the deep dive was that about 65% of residents surveyed said they were very proud of being from Christchurch, 
whereas only 28% um, were willing to be advocates for the place. Same with recent visitors. Again, about two-thirds suggested they had an excellent time visiting and thought it was a brilliant place, but only a quarter of them were willing to recommend it to a friend. And so we're now just trying to understand really why that is and what it is that's stopping people from, you know, being getting behind the place and being advocates. So mm -hmm. pretty exciting to uncover what that looks like. Mm -hmm. um, my gut is that it's probably uh, intrinsic in who we are. It's it's a it's the vibe of the place that people love mm -hmm. more so than um, you know the whatever the attractions you know. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really hard to articulate and to turn into a recommendation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And from your perspective, just thinking about branding and your work with corporates and things, you know, look at like Wellington, absolutely positively. Wellington was sort of a catchphrase from, was it late 90s or yeah, 2000s or, yeah. or around then? Mm -hmm. But it, that was a tool, I guess, to give a persona. Um, whereas I guess in Christchurch, it's been the Garden City and things. What What's your feeling or what are you aiming for for the future? How are you hoping that? it can be branded to use that sort of terminology? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, we're really focused on shining the light on, uh, what, you know, we're heavy on the word explore and exploration and explorers, mm -hmm. really pushing that boundary of innovation. And again, those bits around massive social change, um, some amazing new, you know, initiatives around, these are people that are trying things differently mm -hmm. and challenging the status quo. And so we feel as though as a city, we're famous for that already. And we've got heaps of proof points. And so it's just about focusing on it. It's funny when you talk about Wellington. Like Wellington is the windy city, right? Um, but nobody knows it for its wind. And while we are the garden city and, be and beautiful, and one, especially this time of year, is an incredible proof point, it's actually not what you're going to be famous for is the gardens, just like Wellington is not necessarily famous for its wind. And I think it's the people. So you can put any kind of brand or tagline you like around it. But ultimately, you've got to be authentic and tell your story about the people and the nature of the place. Mm -hmm. And we feel so challenging the status quo is who we are. Mm -hmm. yeah. So Bridget, just thinking, because we talked about impact, or we want to talk about impact in the Christ as a key theme in Christchurch, um, I'm just wondering if you could tell us a bit about Saturday and where you went and what uh, was going yeah. on there, because not everybody was at that event. Yeah, so um, yeah, we talked about impact, so that was the impact summit. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, there was impact there. That uh, <laughs> was an amazing, amazing um, summit that is run by uh, Canterbury University Centre of Entrepreneurship, and Hannah Rhodes is sort of the curator of uh, yeah of the summit. Um, but on the day itself, it's just a massive day that is full. Um, Ants was there as well. I mean, a lot of a few people were here. Fee, you were there as well, yeah. Um, who actually who here was at the impact summit? Oh yeah, it's, uh, it's safe as well. Awesome. Cool. So it's a it's a day that was full of uh, um, speakers, panels, activities, networking, and I guess sort of showcasing initiatives and projects that have come out of Christchurch mm -hmm. um, to show that your impact can be scaled. So uh, <coughs> Brian West from Atik Atik. Which one is it? I'm not sure. Atik. Okay, cool. Yeah. I've been saying that. <laughs> but, but so, so a teak. She um, so she started from. Um, she actually started a teak through 
um, the 85k challenge in, at Canterbury University and it was really funny because she didn't win so she made a call out about it and one of the judges was in the room at the time <laughs> so yeah it was it was funny um, and so she, she spoke and also so did Tim who is the um, the founder and business owner of Cloud9 and he is going to be so Cloud9 is that it's float Cloud9 Float Club, and they are starting O Studio, which is going to be in Well Street, and their potential it is going to be in Well Street is so exciting, and there is this real focus on sustainability, I think, in that street as well, so Good For is opening up, which is kind of like Binan, except extreme, and so it's, you know, you'd go in, you have your containers, and you fill up on all of your essentials that you need. Um, so that's exciting and O Studio is one of the things that they're starting which is basically like a wellness centre. So things from massages to float tanks to um, spaces for journaling, it just sounds like we are shaping our city in the way that we want it and what we have been seeking it to be curated for, if mm. that makes sense. Yeah. So that's really cool that we are getting businesses and initiatives that are happening here. Um, and yeah, and I was lucky enough to speak on the creativity panel um, with my friends uh, Jason Pemberton um, and also Preston, who runs the Exchange. Have we heard of the Exchange? Oh, yeah, isn't it just amazing? Yeah. And it's crazy because, like, when visitors come to Christchurch, they'll never know about Exchange, yeah. which is bizarre. So yeah, I just feel really buzzed about it. And then also um, the the person who runs the Nifty Market, Rosie, Rosie, who runs the Nifty Markets. So it just shows that. I feel like with Christchurch, you can start anything here. It's a place, it's like a testing ground, and you can, we have the potential to really wrap our arms around a problem here, and you don't really get that opportunity anywhere else. Um, you know, we can, yeah, we've always had that, you know, engineering DNA, you know, within us, like just, you know, she'll right, like fix it, that kind of um, attitude. So we're taking that to that next level. And I think we do that in Christchurch really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that was the thing I wanted to highlight is that there's a lot of good things happening that yeah. are about impact, aren't they? Yeah. And I was there on Saturday too and I recorded the whole day. Yes. So it's now a five hour episode. <laughs> <percent>. <laughs> so all of those stories are, are there. You know, yeah. lots of good content for Christchurch and yeah. there's plenty of things that are happening. Um, we're going to open up for questions, I think, but Abdi, from your perspective, just yes. coming from the Muslim community, can you just comment on, I guess, what your perspective is on, on Christchurch? Well, um, not only can people start something in Christchurch, they can do what they want, as in we've got two Muslim candidates running in the, in the council elections, mm -hmm. I think, for the local body, um, community board and council, mm -hmm. and that's post marketing so that shows you that, you know, um, people have stood up um, and taking this responsibility on themselves to serve their Ototahi community. Mm -hmm. um, and that just, you know, bounces off the, um, the love and the compassion that was shown in the city, whether it's like, um, you know, non-Muslim women wearing scarves um, to show compassion. Mm -hmm. And that's just that the t togetherness um, of Christchurch. I think it was always there, but it was just amplified um, and, and showcased to the world. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Mm. Oh, that's good. Well, yeah, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts in the room and, and any questions that you've got for our panelists. Um, yeah, anyone? Yep. Uh, I guess this is for all three of you. Um, if you fast forward five years from now, like what, where do you see Christchurch uh, in terms of uh, its, its impact uh, and, and what, it, what impact uh, it could be as a, as a beacon for the rest of the world? 
five-year horizon? Yeah. Five, well, five maybe year, ten year. <laughs> 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 yeah. Who wants to start? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm happy to, st- um, to kick off. Well, for me, the SDGs, I'm a huge, I call myself a SDG nerd. I love them. And I think, for me, I would love to see Christchurch being a champion and a role model for the SDGs. I feel like, um, as a country, the, the, what we do... So all 17 of the SDGs, they are within our DNA. We've got a long way to go, and I'm happy to go into the detail um, about where are we lacking and what are we on track for to reach the goal by 2030. But if there's going to be a country that's going to champion the SDGs, it should be New Zealand, because we're ranked at number 11 at the moment. So we should really be at least trying for the top three. And then if there's going to be a city within New Zealand that's going to champion the SDGs, it should be Christchurch, right? So uh, for me, in the next five years, I would love to see us on the world stage um, leading in sustainability in all its forms, economic, social and environmental. Yeah, that's a big one for me. Mm -hmm. Um, In the next five years, I see a lot more young people getting engaged uh, from diverse backgrounds. Um, You can see that, you know, a lot of people in their late 20s, early 30s are running for for council and and a lot of uh, local positions. I also see this uh, city being a city that can uh, be an example to the world. Um, I've had contact from people over overseas, and the first thing you'd expect them to say is, "Oh, I'm so sorry for what happened," but really, it's more like we are amazed and proud of how the Christchurch community came together, um, and you guys are an example. So, if we're already an example, imagine what we can be in the next five years um, from now. So. Just to recap my point, I see more young people leading um, in every sector of, uh, of the community here in Christchurch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. What they said. <laughs> <laughs> I really think, um, I really fundamentally feel five years from now, Christchurch will be absolutely world famous for being at the heart of global change. I think we already are, like I, say, I, like I said before, and I just don't think we've really cap- encapsulated that story and used it as a magnet to attract talent and business and, and innovation but if on the global scale like we you know we're one of the most engaged gateways to the Antarctic for example mm-hmm. and this is an amazing platform for um, climate science and for global change and global collaboration and a, yet another proof point you know beyond our very uh, you know, the other things I think about obviously B Corp movement and and mm-hmm. you know the, the traction that we've had in social enterprise in the last four or five years it is who we are and I think, you know, just as maybe in the 90s, people gravitated towards, you know, um, the hotbed of internet companies or, you know, maybe creativity was the attraction of a city. I believe now the attraction of a city is its level of impact and contribution to the world's problems. And I think we are right at the heart of it already. So mm-hmm. I feel like we're going to be seeing, um, you know, as Abdi said, we'll be a magnet for young people. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we'll be famous for that. In less than five years, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's interesting for me coming back, like making the conscious choice to move here. Um, I because every city you live in, pretty much people will say, Well, this is a really good city, this is a unique place. But I actually do believe it about Christchurch, I think mm-hmm. it actually does have a story which is an amazing story given everything that's gone on in the last 10 years, mm-hmm. and what. What I'd love to see is that we don't lose that compassion and 
helping each other as time goes on and as events become further in the past that we don't lose that caring for each other. Um, so that's one question I have is how do we keep that up, you know, it's not just something that post-earthquake it was present or post-shootings it was present, it's actually something we cultivate as a community, as a city mm. that we then become known for. Um, but certainly I resonate with the, there's lots of innovative things going on because I travel a lot for my job and you know, I was in Auckland yesterday and Wellington last week and it feels like Christchurch has a different vibe and certainly the communities that I'm part of here, there's a real sense of collaboration, cooperation, helping. Whereas in others, maybe start, partly it's the size thing maybe, is like Auckland's just that little bit bigger where you don't really know as many people as you know, the next scale up. So it's a unique environment I think here where pretty much there's a ability to actually meet somebody you want to meet somebody you can you know <laughs> whereas another like Sydney or Tokyo or whatever it's like there's multi-million people there so yeah so how do we leverage those unique bits here and actually tell that story but I think as well people will start realizing that there's so much going for it <laughs> If you look at house prices and skiing and snowboarding and, you know, mm. ocean, um, I know it's expensive, but believe me, compared to Tokyo or London, it's not that expensive, so, yeah. 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 I think on that, Stephen, though, just yeah. your comment about how do we keep that, um, like, that fire going so it's not just these things that happen after um, the tragedies or disasters, mm-hmm. I think a big part of it, so with... Uh, you know, with the Kiwi culture of, um, you know, Kiwi ingenuity, we also, it comes with this tall poppy syndrome, mm-hmm. or at least not want, like it's not, humbleness isn't the right word, it's like we don't want to, we don't want to brag about our wins, but nor do we want to lift people up who do, mm-hmm. you know, who do stand out. I, some people use tall poppy syndrome, but I've heard this great analogy called crabs in a bucket, and I kind of want to share it because it's way more ugly, and so it's like, oh, <laughs> we don't want to be crabs in a bucket. So the theory is that <laughs> if you have a crab in a bucket, just one crab, you've got to cover it because the crab will come out. But if you have two crabs in a bucket, it doesn't need a cover because they'll be too busy trying to pull the other crab down rather than escape together. <laughs> Isn't that nice? <laughs> anyway, and I feel like sometimes that's how we look at things um, when we see people succeeding or making impact. So, and, and Stephen, you do this so well with seeds. You know, you are sharing people's stories and you're giving them an opportunity to... Um, to, to keep that impact growing. So I think a big part of it is if you, you know, there's, there's so much negativity, so, you know, if be a enthusiast when you see something amazing, like sh- share it on Facebook or, you know, do more, like tell as many people as you can and mm-hmm. just celebrate those successes of people being examples to make good stuff happen here. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. Bridget, you just picked up on something that I was thinking just beforehand and Richard Sanford from Christchurch and Zed spoke at something recently and we were talking about changing the narrative and it was it was something in relation to the Irish community and he was talking about how we as the Irish community as immigrants what's our contribution to changing the narrative and um, like I've been here 10 years now and I was here just before the quakes and I've chosen to stay and actually I I don't see myself ever moving back to Ireland. I have a little Kiwi, Patty slash Kiwi. And um, I know. Um, but it was really interesting. So what Stephen is doing is amazing. Those storytellers are invaluable. 
and um, because they're they help kind of cut through a little bit of that tall poppy syndrome because it's not Bridget up there talking about herself it's Stephen sharing helping Bridget share her story it doesn't mean that it's okay for people to ha to do that but it makes it a bit more um acceptable inverted commas for the podcast to fair mm -hmm. acceptable um for you to be at that platform because someone else is sharing the story for you but how do we make it more acceptable for um everyday people to be sharing the stories and championing it and um, change that narrative and you know make it own it themselves not just Christchurch NZ or Stephen or you know the people who have the blog posts or the Christ hashtag Christchurch ambassador how do we make it so that everyday people just Christchurch people at regardless of ethnicity, background, socioeconomic, whatever, that they feel empowered to tell those stories mm -hmm. on behalf. And I guess that's that gap you're talking about, about between residents loving it, but then not quite advocating mm -hmm. for people to come. So mm -hmm. I don't know the answer, but it seems like it's a, there's a gap there. And how do we inspire, how do we bridge that gap? It's a great question. It's our team spends literally every day <laughs> grappling with that exact concept. And a lot of it is, I think, meet, them, meet people where they are, you know, in their communities or on their social feeds or whatever it might be. And I think the hashtags and those sorts of initiatives definitely can help. But I think it's amazing to me how we depend on these externalities for pride, like, while well, we need a stadium. Why do we need a stadium? Why do we need a cathedral? Why do we need these things as validation for our pride? I, that's the bit I can't get my head around because there's so many or other other things, you know, like the cities don't aren't defined by their buildings. They're defined by their people and to your point, you know, what Steven's doing um, and, and there's heaps of great storytellers around the city. I think it's just about giving them a, high, a bigger platform and getting them more engaged. We had a great conversation yesterday with the guys at the press around, you know, their narrative and trying to help them, not that they need any help, but um, just recognizing the responsibility that we all have in the tone at which we describe our city. You know, and if it's even a little bit accusatory or negative, it just brings the collective consciousness mm -hmm. down. Yeah. Whereas you can take the exact same story with the same facts and just see it from a different view. Mm -hmm. So I think everybody individually has that responsibility for sure. It's a great point though. Because we need raving fans, right? Like people in Wellington raving about how cool it is, mm. even though it's freezing and windy and horrible. <laughs> not, not even, not even. Um, sorry, and um, not even the big, um, the bigger stories in commas there. But even going into the smaller communities mm. and telling the stories of, like, I'm, I'm going to come back to an example that I'm talking through with, with city council at the moment down around the Irish Society there in Domain Terrace in Sprayton and talking about how can the Irish Society be less insular and trying to get people in and actually go out to all the other tenants that are around Domain Terrace. So there's a huge range of other little sports clubs and that that are right there. So we're starting to think about how can we bring them all together um, to support each other. There's a huge mixture of cultural diversity, age, community in that space alone. So, and, and there are other groups around the city doing that, where they're bringing together little community groups. So those stories, I think, are amazing mm -hmm. as well. You know, the, the, the innovative and impactful, bigger commercial initiatives are amazing, but also those little stories that were going there too. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and if I could just add, I think a, a good way also would be to have dialogue, um, go to those communities and have dialogue with them. 
some people have a misconception of Islam and Muslim. They think it's just one group. When really in Christchurch we have over 40 ethnicities mm -hmm. that uh, practice the uh, Islamic faith. Um, so I think dialogue uh, is really important. Um, and another example would be um, an old lady called Jo Campbell. She does art therapy um, with some of the Muslim women. So that's another way of you know reaching out and you know uh, and exploring those communities. So once you engage and once you have that dialogue, you find out more than you did. Some people think they can't come to the mosque. Anybody's welcome to the mosque. You know, um, as like a marai, you'd have to take off your shoes before you walk in. But yeah, most I think the most effective way would be to start having those dialogues and um, and, and having youth in the forefront as well. I always emphasise. Um, because they're living a world of, you know, kind of uh, identity crisis. You know, they grew up in New Zealand, and then they have this um, ethnic or eth ethnical background. And I think even non-Muslims can relate to that from different ethnicities. So, um, dialogue is really important. Yes. Mm. Um, so, one's a bit of a comment and maybe a question in there, just around. So, call for me now. No ham I'm born and raised here from. A, Kind of in these like this founding group of Pacific Island peoples, um, so my parents were part of that group that came over in the sixties, um, and so for us, like my community, my community, um, you know, have been very fringe, very much on the fringe, and and even it's an ex interesting experience. Go, I moved back to Samoa, then I moved to Hamilton actually for a while, then we moved here again. And so my boy's 17, finishing his high school. But we started here as well. And his experience of it, even though we are a Pacific country, is that his school doesn't understand who he is culturally. And although there might be, you know, some things like they have a UFA kana, which is like the, you know, the Samoan kind of school, they can wear that. But embedded into so many things within school, is this misunderstanding of who he is and how he belongs in this country and how New Zealand belongs in the Pacific. And so when we talk about, you know, so they might do haka, of course you've got haka because that goes with rugby, but what happens when you want to do your music in te reo or your music in Samoan language? You know, that gets minimised and seen as kind of fridge. And so he's found it really hard to reflect who he is. And I just had coffee with the Polynesian Panthers or opening Dawn Raids exhibition at the museum and then, and they part think that building in this um, kind of impact mindset into our communities so that we've got this long lasting legacy takes showing the stories that we have of impact from all our cultural backgrounds and reflecting that back to like our children so they say I'm it's, it's in my DNA to be an innovator, you know. So one of my um, pieces of work right now is working with Tuya and um, recording video stories of, you know, like so Māori navigation, celestial navigation, all these kind of stories. So that um, the point of that is not actually for Tuya. It's so that New Zealand and Māori can see themselves as like, oh heck, I could be an entrepreneur because my ancestors were. I can be innovative because my ancestors were. And I think that's kind of, when you're talking about breaking the status quo, to position Christchurch, which, you know, has this kind of conservative cathedral-like um, image as a Pacific country. Because I think one of the things with the challenge of climate change, New Zealand is not going to be, is not invulnerable to that. 
And I think the attitude has been slightly like that, you know, with the politics and you can just buy some carbon credits and plant some trees. <laughs> so this idea that we're all in the Pacific, I think is like the real, a part of the impact story and a part of the Christchurch story that we haven't fully explored. Mm-hmm. And there's real potential and lots of highlights in there that I think that that can happen in terms of even like, say from brand, from SDGs, from SDGs, um, with a group they're looking at different types of currency, so ancient currency. So how can you look at the trade that exists within the islands and find mats and shell money that build resilience, build relational wealth? How can we change our billing? So I could change my billing to you for cash, for a one week internship, for a donation to my favourite charity. All of that equals a type of income state and also a type of wealth. So I think there's some, you know, if we're going to look at breaking status quo, I think we could Smash some of those things. Yeah, yeah. I also think um, I was born, I wasn't born here, but I've lived here most of my life. I've lived in the US as well. And so I've been through everything from snowstorms to plane crashes to, and also had a police husband. So I've seen a lot, heard a lot. I think Christchurch has changed a lot. Um, when I grew up, it was what school did you go to? Who did mum and dad know? It's still there, but the barriers are breaking down because at long last, the youth are speaking up mm-hmm. and putting our hands up and saying, we don't want this, this is who we are, we've got, we can grow, this is our impact, our ideas, rather than dad owns that pub, so he's got clout in that area. I think we've become a lot more diverse than what we used to be, mm-hmm. and yeah, I think we need to pat ourselves on the back. I've always um, labelled Christchurch as Christchurch to their parts because whenever anything happens, it's an outpouring of heart and love and emotion. And I think that's what our city is. We're built on giving and what very humble. We don't share our stories because if someone says, oh, you're from Christchurch, everyone goes, oh, the earthquake, oh, the mosque attacks, oh, I'm so sorry. We should be trying to encourage people to talk about the good stories, not impacting on how diverse and the strength that we've got and the impact that we've gone through those disasters, but what we've got and what we do have to offer, not focus on the bad points, but yeah, our youth is a huge one. We've got some amazing youth. And also, back when I was growing up, racism was really bad. I mean, you cannot deny it. And you're now seeing, like, with working with the Muslim community and all the different people that I've been involved with, yeah, we're spreading those stories that you never knew that existed, these little cultures and even like the Samoan and the Tongan and that. We're not afraid to immerse ourselves and learn about each other. Mm. Growing up you were, you were, oh, they're over there, we're here. Mm. So yeah, we need to pat ourselves on the back and recognise how far we have come. Mm-hmm. And also like terminology I think is important. We, I think at the start of the attack they were calling people victims and now um, they're calling the survivors. I think that's a better term, and that changes the mindset of you know people's recovery um, um, from these kind of events. And just with the um, the youth, I think innovation is important. Like investing in the youth is also important. Um, I can give you an example. Like I think the night nighttime when they got the settlement of a hundred odd million dollars, and now it's turned into I think multi billion dollar um, uh, industry. So that kind of shows you know a little bit of investment into into minority groups. Um, mm can help as well, so, um, yeah. Mm. That's good. Can I, um, you know, there's a lot of conversation as well about youth, which I think is really important, and, you know, I'm young myself, kind of, I know. <laughs> but I also think, um, and thinking of this from a culture and ethnic, ethnic background as well, and looking at different cultures that are around the table, is there's huge value in 
um, both ends of the spectrum. So our older generation as well in our history and um, our culture, our background, our whakapapa, um, all of that. So um, someone shared, I was talking to someone last night and we talked, we were talking, it was actually yesterday at Hannah and um, at their workshop and we were talking about how you can walk backwards into the future. So actually drawing on your past and what we've learned from our past and from and the people in our lives. And you do that through your podcast, Stephen. You get people to talk about where they're born, where they come from. And it wasn't until I started listening to some of your podcasts, I started to go back and think, oh my God, my grandparents, that's why, that's why I, that's really important to me because that's what my granddad used to do. And I'd only been reflecting in the last couple of years. So I think while our youth is so important in investing in our youth, we need to remember there's huge value in both ends of our, um, in our history and also in the older people in our generations and not, not discount either, you know what I mean? So keep that value and bring the old and the new and the history together into the future. I think that's really important as well. And just on that, Faye, um, so you mentioned both ends of the spectrum, but let's not forget the middle generation yeah. as well. Yes. Like I was only just recently at a um, at a meeting with a bunch of business people, and we were talking about climate issues. And there was one person who probably we would have been in his forties, and he was you know talking about his business, and it was it was great that he was um, you know he was coming he wasn't really coming up with ideas; he was sort of more promoting his own business. But you know I like sat there and then let him talk, and then um, the some of the older people said. Bridget, what do you think? And I said, look, if you're going to do anything around climate or anything about the future, then you've got to have young people around the table. Mm. And they said, yes, that's the solution. And then they just talked to me the entire time about how we can make this happen. And I had, I didn't mean to do this, but I had completely made the other person irrelevant in that conversation. He wasn't, like, no one asked him anything, and I did not mean to do that, but it made me realise this is a problem. Like we are, it's like we can't be thinking about baby boomers and millennials. What about that generation in between? Like it's we can't like let's, we can't skip that generation. So mm-hmm. I'm just always conscious that it's we can't just keep we yeah. Yes, we do we do need to future proof and make sure mm-hmm. young people have a say. Um, because there's also this other thing too that when people say young leaders um, or future leaders, it kind of insinuates um, you're not important now, yeah. you mm-hmm. will be important in the future. Mm-hmm. So that's not like, you know, there's that, but also there's this generation that is being missed or left off the radar. And I'm just really conscious that we include that generation too. Mm-hmm. Hearing all the voices, right? And, Hearing and, and all the knowing, voices, yeah. Knowing that there's value in all of them. It doesn't mean yeah. everyone's right, it just means everyone can contribute. That's right, yeah. Yeah, I like that phrase, sort of the, the waka, we're all on it together, mm-hmm. you know, we're all going in direction. Yeah. 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 What's that? Yeah. Um, <coughs> Kia ora. I'm, I'm Anka. I'm originally from Germany, so I came here as an immigrant 16 years ago. I also work as a, a correspondent for the German media, so I have an interesting perspective on this country living here, but also reporting about it, especially with these big events that we had. And I'm just thinking back of, of the earthquake. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm at the bottom of the world. Nothing, nothing really big happens. And then that happened, and every you know, a lot of people back home expected us to leave and, and you know, this is a broken city. And for me, that was the event that made me a New Zealander, which I am now with my passport and everything, but emotionally that made me a Kiwi, being here for that. So out of that, that tragedy, and I mean, we're lucky my, our house could be, you know, still standing and, and it didn't maybe impact as much on some level as it did on other families, but if I look at a 
what's just happened here on 15th of March, again, has been the, you know, the biggest, biggest story professionally in, in my life, and I'm still working on it. At the same time, it's, it's been such an emotional roller coaster for everyone, and I think it's, it's what you, Vicky, what you touched on before, is this, um, yes, from the outside, you look at, you look at this, 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 this disaster, this destruction, the, the, the trauma, and yet, if, if we can bring it across that there is, there, is, there is something in it that makes being here so beautiful. I know it kind of sounds weird, but I think, I'm looking at you too, I think you know what I mean, right? There's something in it that really shows, shows our humanity, and, and if we can build on that, plus the you know, beauty and the mountains and the great country we have around us, but that together, I think, is, is what Christ, I hope, will, will stand for. I might just add on to that one because I, yeah. I, I feel that um, it was the quake. I was living in Seattle when the mm. quakes occurred, and I felt very emotionally shaken watching the imagery on the mm. TV. And I felt at that moment I needed to quit my job and pack up and be a part of the revitalization of the city. Mm. And it took me a lot longer to get here than I had originally planned, but it was that feeling. Anyway, once I've come back, or since I've come back and, and been more involved, the bit that's been the most inspiring to me is actually the engagement with Manafinoa and the commentary around the resurgence of Tereo and because interestingly I've spent the majority of my adult life in, in ad academia learning about sustainability and corporate sustainability and then I come and sit down with some of the elders in the community at, with Naitau and I'm like, wow, <laughs> this is actually already the Maori worldview. It's already there, multi-generational thinking. Um, taking care of our, you know, we're part of nature, it's all there, it's all intrinsic. And I thought about that even following um, the, the tragedy of March 15. And it was very much the Naitai leadership and the Muslim leadership community coming together that was a huge part of, I think, the response. And I think it sort of set the ripple effect. And so to me, it's about just coming back to our core nature of who we are as a people. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, we say it in different terms, like term about diversity and inclusion and all that, but it's actually just being real and human and in touch, I think. Yeah. I think it, that's something that's quite unique that Steve was talking about earlier, yeah. Yeah. <coughs> mm -hmm. and can I just make a quick comment, um, just a quick comment. Some people have been calling from overseas and been saying um, the way the New Zealand people responded, the way the Prime Minister responded, has more Islamic values than actual some Muslim countries. <laughs> you know, and, and I was really pleased to hear that because, as you said, um, it's going back, going back to your core values as human beings, mm. how we treat one another yeah. um, after such hard times. So. Mm -hmm. Can I just add to that? When, when I was in the midst of all this reporting afterwards, I mean, I had barely you know, time to think the function, and then I got in my from I, I belong to a, a collective of, of foreign correspondents, and our guy in... in um, Egypt sent me a message. He said, "Do you have any idea what you, how, how amazing you are? I'm, I'm, I'm in love with your prime minister with a Kiwi accent. Do you have any idea what, what this means to you know to, to, to the Arabic world? What do you mm. know? That was interesting. And, and he's, a, he's, he's a German reporter like me, and he, he just had this, but he understands you know the Arabic world. And mm. to get that feedback, and then was really it really fired me up. So I've, I've got to keep this." I've got to get, keep going with it. <laughs> broadcast this out, yeah? <laughs> yeah. It's important. That's that's our, you know, that's our. I mean, it sounds 
of, it's, it's, not, it's not building a brand on top of a tragedy, but I think you mm. will know what I mean. Right? Yeah. It's shining a light There's, on what was already there. Because yeah. 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 all of this happened organically. No, no, one, no, one said, no one planned to put all these flowers there and have this massive outpouring of, of love. It just happened, right? Mm -hmm. it, just, it was just suddenly there. No one expected it. Everyone was surprised on all sides of the you know, mm -hmm. spectrum, right? Yeah. I think yeah. something that Bridget raised, and I think it is really important, like my, it's my age group you're talking about in the 40s and that, we sort of feel lost. You've got your grandparents that did life was a lot slower, and then you've got the next generation that's just go, 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 and it's fast paced, and you do feel lost, and we need to find that identity and not lose the values and the wonderful things that our grandparents did and that, but we, we've been put into a box, you've got to be here, there, there, do this, that, that. We need to slow our lives down a bit more because we're lost in that 40, in that 40 year age group. It's, you don't, it's hard to identify and join those don't fit in the box anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to finish up. Safe, did you have a comment? You yeah, I was just going to say, um, yesterday, I guess, the media, um, it was talking about Greta's speech at the UN for sustainability, and the media was portraying her as an annoying kid, which kind of frustrated me a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I guess my question is, how can we, how do you think we can work collaboratively in the intergeneration? How can we do that better? Who, which media was making her? I, I think it was Tucker being on the wrong side of history. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I guess it, I don't. For me, I think it personally comes back to creating environments and spaces where people can come together to um, create, share ideas, and not do that on a digital platform, but actually do that face-to-face. -face. We've lost that, and that's something that um, like Ben and Proceed tries to do with our creative workshops. Um, but I think, you know, the Māori community have always done that. That's always been something that, um, you know, it's like, when, when did we lose this? When did we, um, yeah, so I think, for me, it's, it's ensuring that we don't always communicate online and we don't always use platforms that um, you know uh, for social media right like I feel like we just got to be more conscious um, in, in how we communicate our messages um, like that's one thing um, but yeah I think it's just also making sure that we uh, young people need to do this too we, we can't um, we have to make an effort to make sure that you know we are communicating with um, you know, and showing respect as well to that older generation. Um, and I know well, like we see this all the time where I think Sweden or somewhere in Scandinavia, they're doing it really well. They're attaching play schools to rest homes, right? Like they're trying to make, they're trying to bridge that um, generational gap and, and have that intergenerational learning. And that's a really great example. Um, it still does leave that middle, like that middle age out. Um, so I think we've got We've got to work on it. Yeah, that's my answer. We don't really have a solution, but there are a few out there already that we can improve on. Yeah, I think having the conversations, and as it's kind of come up throughout this morning, is stories, telling stories, right? Like, that's how we learn from each other. I know for me, with the podcast, I deliberately try to interview a diverse person every week, so it's really different to the week before. So I interviewed a 90-year-old nun about her life, you know, she was born in 1929, and we talked about World War II starting, you know, like it's this slice of history, so hearing her story, and then interviewing a six-year-old, what's it like to be six? 
you know, like that cross-generational yeah. is really important. So the more we can do that, the better. From my perspective, um, I think there's a danger where we end up in silos, where we talk with people who are like us, mm -hmm. and I end up hanging out with other lawyers, you know, and I, <laughs> I end up not talking with people from other backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So about a year and a half ago now, I started these things called impact lunches, mm -hmm. which is trying to get diverse people across sectors together to say, hey, you know, this social scientist sitting by an accountant, sitting by a whatever, you know, like really mixing age range, everything like that. So there's been about 12 of those lunches now. And every time there's 35 or 40 people coming together, having great food, having conversations. Some of you have been to them. And it's a way to break down those barriers, I guess, of the generations and um, encourage more cross-fertilization so that we, we don't just stay in our silos, which I think is really important. Yeah. So I think what we might do is finish up now. It's been a great discussion. So thanks so much for all of your input. And hopefully there's been some good ideas that we can each take away from our own, for our own context. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a challenging one because I think Christchurch is unique. We don't want to focus on just the negative, but we, if we can take the positive from the events and how do we continue on to develop that sort of caring culture actually moving forward, you know, that it isn't just a one-off, something bad's happened for six months, it changes and then it goes back, like, that it actually becomes something that's deeply rooted in who we are as an identity, I think that would be good, but if we can each work on telling stories, then I think that would be a great way to start. So thank you all, and join me in thanking the panelists. Well, I hope you enjoyed that panel. If you did, then you might want to check out some of the earlier episodes as well. Until next time.